The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Thank you, the Spencer Davis Group, for spotting my gender. Uh, this is the Leslie Marshall Show. Leslie is otherwise detained this afternoon. And this is Nicholas Wapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek. And I'm here for the next couple of hours, so don't go away. Don't turn the dial. We've got some, a whole succession of interesting guests uh, for you to listen to. And the first up is a dear friend of mine. I've known him for a very long time. And he knows more about the Clinton family probably than anyone else uh, outside of the family. You may remember uh, the book, The Hunting of the President, The Ten-Year Campaign to Destroy Bill and Hillary Clinton. And I'm holding in my hand right now, which was a great book, by the way, uh, I'm handing a, holding a, a very handsome picture of, uh, on the jacket of his latest book, Man of the World, which is new, just out, The Further Endeavors of Bill Clinton. Uh, and uh, Joe Collison is my guest, and he has spent the last eight years or so uh, following Bill Clinton around to discover exactly what he's been up to. And uh, so, Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Uh, uh, this is a very momentous day for the Clintons, isn't it? Uh, in as much as here we are on the threshold of the first of three extraordinary debates where we might have expected a year ago that she would have been up against a traditional conservative and someone that uh, she could take the measure of pretty easily. But as it happens, she's t- like this whole circus has become uh, more eccentric as we have Donald Trump. So what's your original thought? What do you think that Hillary is feeling right now as, as she looks forward to the 9 o'clock, uh, what will be the, like the bell in a in a boxing match. I think, I think she's probably pretty calm. I think she's thinking uh, that given the fundamentals of this election, which is to say, leaving aside the personalities, um, she is better. She, those fundamentals might be against her in a lot of ways. It's very hard, Nick, for a Democrat to win in a third-term situation like this. Hasn't happened for I don't know how long, decades and decades, Okay. So uh, she's up against that. She's up against an economy where, you know, the numbers look good, but the feeling about it is not good in the, in the, in the, among the public. There's, there's a lot of, there's a certain amount of pessimism. There's a feeling that the growth has not been what it should be and uh, people's incomes are not where they ought to be. So uh, from that point of view, she may be better off going up against an unorthodox a person like Trump, who is not very presidential, than against a sort of, uh, you know, textbook conservative like a John Kasich, who looks like he's a plausible president and probably would be, uh, and therefore might benefit from just the fundamental, uh, you know, change parties um, attitude that, that prevails in many election cycles. So I think she's probably thinking about all that because she's a, a deeply wonkish person. And I think the other thing she's probably thinking about is how to communicate a, a positive message about herself. I think she knows by now that the the people who are likely to vote against Trump because of Trump uh, are there. You know, that's why she's still ahead. 
uh, even by a, a small amount. And it depends which polls you look at. There's a new Reuters Ipsos poll out today that looks better for her. Um, but she needs to bring people who otherwise are thinking about voting third party uh, in several of the swing states who might want to vote for a Gary Johnson over, back over to her. So she might uh, want to communicate a positive message tonight about what she wants to do, what she wants to do on student loans, which was a strong message out of the convention and boosted her for a while, and they sort of have lost that thread. She might want to convey her ideas about rebuilding infrastructure, where she wants to spend a lot of money and pay for it by taxing the wealthiest people in the society to rebuild the country that made them all rich in the first place. So I think that I, I believe that's what the kind of thing that must be on her mind right now. I think that up to about two months ago, I think I would have agreed entirely with you in as much as he's such an unconventional char uh, character, Donald Trump, and he's so weird in many respects, and because he's so offensive, and because he lies persistently and all the things we know about him, you would imagine that she should be sailing through right now, but something happened in the last six weeks or so, and the opinion polls are slightly ambiguous, but it's much, much tighter than we ever imagined, isn't it, Joe? So what do you think? I mean, in, on the, by looking at the figures, it's not as if Trump's gone up very much, but she has come down. And therefore, what's happened to Hillary in the last six weeks, do you think? Well, I think, there's, I think there's ambivalence among voters, you know, who have heard a lot of stuff about the Clinton Foundation and her emails. You know, there's a, I, I read the uh, New York Times endorsement, Nick, on Sunday. I don't know if you read it of her. Yeah. A, a terrific editorial, uh, you know, explaining all the reasons why we might be happy to have her as president. And then at the end, it said, and by the way, about all that email stuff, which the paper has been covering, you know, uh, wall to wall for a year, never mind, that probably could have been solved by the help desk. It's not really that big a deal after all. And I, and I, I sort of, you know, it's sort of darkly humorous, like, really? Now you're telling us we didn't need to pay attention to that? So, I mean, uh, I think she's suffered from all that stuff, and there's a cumulative effect. Uh, and I, otherwise, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, the, the pneumonia story reinforced negative memes about her uh, trustworthiness and, and transparency. And, you know, I've argued about that on TV and radio until I'm blue in the face. But, you know, the idea that somebody who has released 38 years of tax returns is going to be you know, compared in transparency with a guy who made up a phony reason why he can't release any, in spite of a tradition in this country of releasing them that goes back to Nixon, uh, is, uh, uh, it's mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing that, that in the media, this is presented as some kind of equivalence. Yeah, that's uh, it ludicrous ability of uh, journalists to blind themselves to the fact that somehow you ought to provide some sort of balance, when actually what they're not providing is balance. In fact, they're, they're actually tipping the scale. They're putting a thumb on the scale in favor of Trump because they don't, they don't keep him up to the balance. same standard. Why do they have to provide no, they balance? Don't. They don't. They wouldn't know balance if it, <laughs> if it hit them in the back of the head. They should just provide the facts. Let, let, the, let the audience figure out the balance. You know, just tell, tell them what actually happened. If they told them what happened, they would say, you know, we know all these things about Mrs. Clinton's speeches and her and how rich she is and so on because they've told us everything every year for almost forty years about their income uh... which by the way bernie sanders didn't do either and no one called him on that 
that was they were treated as if she was the one who was hiding something because she didn't give out her Goldman Sachs speech transcripts, which you know I know nobody has done. Maybe she should have done that, but you know maybe he should have uh, released his taxes. And now Trump, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, Nick, what I'm hoping she asks him tonight, or Lester Holt asks, is. Well, can you show us the letter from the IRS, at least, that says you're on being <laughs> audited in which years? Like, can we have yeah. that letter? Because, you know, your lawyer says you're being audited, but, uh, you know, are you? And what about the, what years are not being audited? Can we have those? Because this is, I mean, he's allowed to get, been allowed to get away with this in a way that's just uh, really stunning to me. And meanwhile, yeah, just the same, yeah. Yeah, she's braced as if, you know, she's done something wrong because she didn't tell them soon enough that she was she had pneumonia. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem equal to me somehow. No, it's, it's very the same thing, of course, with the health records, isn't it? He's got this strange sort of Dr. Robert guy, uh, some sort of hippie doctor who would obviously will give you a prescription for almost anything. <laughs> by the sound of it. Yes. He's the sort, be, sort of doctor I've been looking for be for the some years. the president ever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he'd yes, certainly be high as a kite, probably. But the, the problem uh, is, you, uh, know, you know, Nick, did you notice that he grew an inch at the age of oh, 70? He? <laughs> He's always been listed as 6'2". But in the latest health report that, they, that he handed out, he's now listed as 6'3". And not, do you know why? You see, the weight that he gave at 6'2", he's officially obese. And nobody believes that's his actual weight anyway. I mean, I'm hoping it would be great if somebody, you know, came up to the stage tonight with a scale and made them both <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. A scale in one of those things in the doctor's office measures your height. Because, you know, I'd, uh, his real height, he's, he's about, I would estimate he's about 75 pounds overweight. And uh, that puts him very close to the obese range. And if he's if he is six foot two, then he is officially obese, which does not make him the healthiest president we've ever had, by the way. Uh, so, like Barack Obama is considerably <laughs> healthier than Donald Trump. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine. Anyway, I'm I mean, talking to John on the Jim. basketball court. That would be fun to see, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking to Joe Coniston. He's the author of Man of the World, The Failure Endeavors of Bill Clinton, available at all good bookshops and on Amazon and everywhere else right now. It's an account of Bill Clinton's life since the presidency, uh, and he knows more about the Clinton family than almost anyone, and we'll be talking to him again when we uh, come out the other side of this commercial break. Look forward to seeing you the other side. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Okay, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm... If you're looking for Leslie, I'm afraid uh, I'm sitting here instead. This is Nicholas Wapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek, and I've got a dear friend with me who happens to know more about the Clinton family than anyone else probably outside of the family. He is also the author of Man of the World, uh, a new book out called The Further Endeavors of Bill Clinton. If you're interested in Bill Clinton, it's a great book. Uh, I've read most of it. 
not all of it, uh, but it's a very handsome book too, Simon & Schuster, or good bookstores. Uh, Joe, I was thinking, I, in a way I take the opposite view of many people about uh, Mrs. Clinton's sick episode. Uh, I think that a lot of women in particular will recognize exactly what she did, and that is she got whatever she got. She got pneumonia, for goodness sake. And But she thought, I don't want to, to actually just change my plans, you know. Every woman I know that has got a birthday or an anniversary or a children's birthday or something that they will sort of press on right through, even though actually they should be in bed and under the doctor's orders. And I think that the fact that Hillary, uh, you know, tried this out and it went wrong, uh, may act in her favour in the end because I think a lot of women will be there. At the same time, though, there is this recurring thing that somehow the, the, she can never quite come straight out with uh, whatever problem she has on her hands. And uh, my goodness, her email problem would have been easier if she'd actually said right at the beginning uh, what she ended up saying right at the end. Uh, so th there is some self-inflicted wound with about all that. that. I, you know, Nick, I agree with all of that. I would say... Uh, I would just add that, you know, for her, 9-11, and for everybody here in New York, but for, as you know, for her, 9-11 is, uh, you know, that's like an, it's an important day. And, you know, so it's it maybe more than a, 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 the children's birthday, although that we know that's always a very important day, too. But, you know, it's, it is that kind of occasion when or every other thing being equal, she's not going to miss it. She's not going to show disrespect for the families. She's always gone there. She'll always go there. And, you know, if they had to take her on a stretcher, she would probably go there. So, yes, and then on top of that is the other layer of women who tend to power through their illness because that's what, that's what we expect of them. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of a, a really sexist, sexist society uh, that, that women are just... They're expected to do that, and no one notices most of the time. You know, no one pays any attention to the fact that mom is not feeling well, uh, uh, which is terrible. Uh, men are much wimpier about it, as a rule, and, you know, take to their beds. But I, I, I agree with all that, and the fact that, you know, it would have been much better if they had um, if they'd owned up to what it was sooner. I think that, you know, there's, it's pointless to annoy the press by doing that, you know, and, and giving them an excuse to talk about how untransparent you are, which is their favorite subject. So uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and to, but, and to something, something you know about more than anyone else, because you've written extensively about it, is that Hillary Clinton's endured three decades' worth of hounding uh, often with total malicious lies, invented scandals that weren't, weren't really scandals, and so on, for, right from Whitewater all the way through to whatever the – it's not even emails. There's, there's more recent stuff than that, that they just sort of cook up and talk about as if it's true when it isn't. And so give, give me an idea well, of what cycle, that does. The cycle I mean, is getting, up, yeah, the cycle is, is yeah. speeding up now. Because with Whitewater, you know, it took them about 10 years to admit there was nothing there. Uh, Whereas now with emails, you know, it's, we've gotten it down to, well, after a year, the New York Times now says, well, we maybe shouldn't have bothered you with all this stuff. But uh, you are dear readers. And, you know, we actually think she'd make a terrific president and forget about that email thing. So, you know, which I just I laughed when I read that. I was like, what the heck? But, uh, and I, I probably should put up a blog post about it. Because, uh, you know, it's at the bottom of the editorial. Probably nobody ever got there. But... Uh, uh, I just thought, man. So, yes, they've been through this over and over again. 
Uh, you know, and every once in a while, it's a real scandal, like the Lewinsky thing. I mean, you know, that's that was real. Um, I don't see why anybody cared about it that much, but it was real. Uh, all the other ones that you've heard about, you know, and, and if you rack your memory and you're old enough, you'll remember, well, there was a thing called Filegate. What was that? Well, you know, that was actually nothing either. That was a complete fabrication, fake thing. Uh well, Whitewater, what was that? Well, actually, that was a thing where they lost a lot of money, the two of them, and they were swindled by this guy who went to prison eventually uh, for some of the stuff that he did, James McDougal, and was mentally ill besides. I mean, we tell that whole story in the book that you mentioned at the beginning. But uh, And by the way, I want to say, for people who want to understand these old scandals, we have a great e-book at my publication, The National Memo, which I know you're familiar with, Nick, nationalmemo.com. We are giving away a, a free e-book called The Hunting of Hillary, which is based on the uh, hunting of the president. Our publisher gave uh, Gene Lyons and me permission to excerpt sections of that about Hillary Clinton, and we've, we uh, sort of uh, adapted it into a little book uh, that is we're giving away because for educational purposes we think people ought to understand this stuff that's a great idea so go on to nationalmemo.com yes, uh, first go, of all you'll find you a lot of stuff google yeah. the hunting of hillary uh you will find it you'll find the link and all you have to do is uh put your email address in and, and we'll send you the book that's excellent that's terrific news joe thank you very much now we haven't got very much time left so be so before i let you go uh, how are you watching the debate tonight? Are you watching it in a closed, dark room, you know, just you on your own? Or are you, you <laughs> no. going to open a b bottle of wine you know, with friends? Well, or, Nick, you know, you know, what, you, what, you, how are you going to do it? You, you met, you, you saw our children again the other night, and, you know, they're, they're now yeah. nine. We have twins who are nine, a boy and a girl, Edward and Eleanor. And they are, I have to tell you, uh, hardcore uh, political junkies already. <laughs> And so I'm gonna, we're going to hear from them tonight about how they have to stay up and watch the debate with Mommy and Daddy. So, so we may well just sort of watch it as a family, although, you know, it's, it's kind of um, – I'm not sure it's family fair with Donald Trump on the television, you know, for a 9-year-old. I don't want them to learn to talk like him. So, uh, but they've watched him already, and they, I have to say, have a hearty dislike for him. So – they, they'll probably insist on watching it. We have friends and neighbors who've invited us to come over and watch with family. So something like that. What are you going to do? You you have plans? Well, I, I'll tell you after the break because we're coming okay. up to a break. Joe, Joe, I can't thank you enough. Fascinating stuff as always.
Go ahead, Nicholas. I'm sorry, yes, uh, this is Nicholas Swapshot. I'm standing in for Liz Marshall. I lost my IM for some reason. Google seems to stop uh, working for reasons I don't understand. Anyway, here we are, and it's uh, me, Nicholas Swapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek, and I have with me one of uh, Newsweek's most distinguished political columnists, and that is uh, Neil Buchanan. And uh, Neil, how are you this afternoon? Tell us, tell us what you're doing uh, this evening in order to watch the debate. Well, I have a uh, tradition of um, not listening to or reading any of the other commentary um, before or after the debate, and then I write a column uh, the next morning. Um, the reason I do that is that uh, um, I get very tired of this sort of insta consensus that you get from um, from from the various people who watch the debates, and so they immediately go to a panel of five people on every news program, and within a matter of seconds, they've decided that some incredibly unimportant thing has has you know determined who will win the debate. Um, so what I try to do is uh, uh, you know basically just watch the debate, um, uh, assess it uh, you know based on my knowledge of, of how a debate works. Um, and then uh, sleep on it and write it up. And uh, in, in what circumstances? Do you sit there in front of the TV on your own, or do you allow your wife in the room, or how does it work? <laughs> uh, well, this is actually the first time uh, I've been watching a debate as a married man, so uh, um, uh, we, haven't, uh, we haven't quite worked that out, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think we're actually going to be watching it together, but um, uh, but um, to be completely consistent, what I what I am going going to say is that that we're not going to discuss it with each other um, until I, I have my column done tomorrow. Ah, now that's interesting. It's very difficult, I find, to get my wife not to comment throughout the whole event. <laughs> So, uh, so my mind has turned already. And in a, in a way, it's very useful, though, of course, because you get a very acute understanding of what someone who takes a certain political position, the, the way they're seeing it, like a stranger, whereas you and I watch these things, uh, as so many other uh, political people do, uh, with a much more sophisticated uh, uh, view of the whole thing, a, a, long, a longer attention span. We're looking for different indicators. Yeah, so yeah, that's exactly right. I have some background in, in parliamentary debate uh, from my years in college and grad school, and I, I, did, I coached uh, um, uh, some successful teams um, while I was in graduate school. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people think that, that it's sort of an in-the-know thing to say, that to, to complain about how these presidential debates should be in like an Oxford-style debate. I actually don't think that's, the, 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 that, that's what matters, right? And, you know, as, as you were just saying, what really matters is whether or not the person can, you know, debate is about argument, and it's about sustained argument and responding to arguments. And so, uh, and the problem is that the sort of modern trend in debating um, uh, for presidential and vice presidential candidates has been to move away from anything resembling a debate. That that basically you don't answer the question that's asked; you answer the question that you want that you want to answer. Uh, you don't engage with the other side. You don't even look you know look at the other person if you can avoid it. Um, and you know, in Donald Trump's case, I, I mean, the problem is that. He has almost never shown the ability to make an argument, much less respond to one. I mean, his entire style 
is built around making I mean, it's, it, in some ways, it's, it's even too much to say that he's making declaratory statements because some, you know, some some uh, declarations can be interesting, right? You know, he, he, I mean, he could say, if you adopt my tax plan, then the following good things will happen. But he doesn't even get that far. He just think, he says things like, well, you know, this will be beautiful, or I will take ISIS down, um, and you know, with no explanation how, no, no no sort of building of premises or logic or you know, marshalling of evidence, nothing like that. Hillary Clinton's capable of all of that. Um, but what's worse from Trump's standpoint is that he is. Uh, he's also completely incapable of responding to challenge, uh, to logical challenge, um, or thinking on his feet. The, the, I was thinking earlier today about this. The one example I can think of where Trump thought on his feet in a way that was sort of trying to follow a train of argument was uh, uh, back in the, in the spring when I forget who the uh, the – interviewer was, but, uh, oh, it was Chris Matthews on, on MSNBC, uh, was uh, talking to him about abortion. Um, and basically, uh, 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 Matthews got Trump to say that he was in favor of punishing women for getting abortions. Um, and, of course, that created, that was a huge gaffe. Uh, Trump then, you know, create, uh, took like three different positions on abortion in the next eight hours as he tried to walk it back. But what was interesting about it from my standpoint is that's the one and only time I can really think of where he was, you know, given an argument, asked to follow up on it, and he actually tried to follow the logical flow. He said, okay, so if I'm against abortion and abortion becomes illegal and women get abortions, then I guess the logical conclusion of that is that women should be punished because they would be criminals. And so, you know, his, his handlers are not going to let him do that again. And that means that what we're going to see tonight is a whole lot of avoiding anything uh, resembling uh, a debate-style argument coming out of Trump's mouth. It's all going to be memorized pablum, as far as I, I, I can anticipate. And so what would your, be your advice to Hillary Clinton, who has probably an over-legalistic view of the world? She, I mean, she thinks like a lawyer. She speaks, for goodness sake, like a lawyer, which is not good for her. Uh, but how does someone who's very ordered and disciplined and well-informed, she's a wonkish woman, yeah. how does she a approach someone who's just out of sort of kindergarten? I mean, just sort of mud-slinging, you know, playing in the sand. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I would not want to be Clinton or uh, any of her advisors on this because there's, there's, it's so impossible to imagine what Trump might do or say. Um, and, you know, because he, he could just be boring. Um, he, could, he, he could just decide, you know, we, we have seen him um, in sort of good boy in church mode. Um, I remember uh, back in, in November, I think it was, or October of last year, he, uh, he did an appearance on Stephen Colbert, The Late Show, and um, he sat there and acted like a good little boy. He didn't say anything um, insulting. He tried to say things about economics that, you know, they didn't make any sense, but he at least he wasn't shouting. Um, and when Stephen Colbert sort of poked fun at him, he, you know, he didn't know um, exactly how to respond. Um, and so, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be possibly looking at, 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 at church, <laughs> uh, you know, a well-behaved uh, Donald Trump, or, you know, he might 
mention Monica Lewinsky. Um, but uh, as you say, she, she, she defaults to wonkish lawyer mode. Um, and the, the and the one thing that I think she can do that that has nothing to do with how Trump is 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 behaving or misbehaving um, is to make sure that she avoids. If you can remember back in the 1988 presidential debates, Michael Dukakis um, made one of the bigger mistakes that, that that I've seen in presidential debating. And it was exactly because, even though he was a really smart, wonky guy, you know, who could definitely sustain an argument, he had obviously been overprepared and basically was told, you know, don't answer questions, that, you know, just just repeat the, the canned uh, uh, speeches that, that we've had you memorize. And so there was this really outrageous question about his, uh, his wife being raped and murdered and how would he feel about that and, and would that make him reassess his views on criminal justice and the death penalty. And he just sort of looked blankly and went into some sort of um, policy wonky discussion about, uh, uh, about, I think, the drug war. Um, and, uh, and, and people rightly said afterward, what kind of um, automaton was that who just heard a guy, you know, uh, uh, ask a really out, uh, outrageous question and not say that's outrageous, right? I mean, Dukakis just yeah. sounded like a, a, a policy wonk who, who had no, no soul. Um, and well, I let's, hope that, that, uh, let, let's hope that Hillary doesn't do that. We've got to go to an ad break, uh, Neil, but we'll be back. This is talking to Neil Buchanan, who's a great contributor to Newsweek magazine. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. Leslie Marshall Show, and uh, I'm Nicholas Wapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek, and I'm standing in for Leslie this afternoon. And I'm talking to Neil Buchanan, who's a regular contributor to Newsweek uh, two or three times a week. He's extraordinarily prodigious and amazingly sensible. If you want to have a look, go to newsweek.com and look up Neil H. Buchanan. He's an economist, a legal scholar, and a professor of law at George Washington University. And I'm very glad to be able to chat to him ahead of the extraordinary debate that we're about to witness this evening. Uh, Neil, there's, uh, we've got a question from uh, someone called Virginia in Linwood, and she asks a question which, as a legalistic guy, you might be able to answer. How, is it possible for the GOP to reveal Obamacare if Trump's elected president? Is it very easy to do now? Well, uh, as a legal matter, definitely. I, you know, they can, they can pass a law, and Trump could sign the law that says we hereby repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, the problem is that they, as it's entirely a matter of, of policy and politics, because at this point there are a lot of people who are actually benefiting, a lot of people who are benefiting from the Affordable Care Act, and but the Republicans have really sort of just told their base for, for forever now that they're going to repeal it. And so you would then think that they would say, all right, if you've got something that's actually in effect and people are benefiting from it, and uh, you know, tens of millions of people, that the Republicans, if they're going to follow through on this, that they would have 
a fallback position, something other than just let's go back to the bad old days when people could be denied coverage for pre-existing conditions and all the other horrible things um, that led to the adoption of, a, of, of the Affordable Care Act in the first place. Republicans have a bunch of sort of half-baked ideas that they've tossed around, um, but other than just saying repeal Obamacare, they, uh, they, they, they really don't know what to replace it with. And so, um, uh, so although they can certainly just pass, you know, they, I mean, they can, they can repeal a lot of things if they want to. They, they would have the legal power if they had both um, houses of Congress and the presidency. Um, but I think they'd be kind of stupid to do it. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about millions of people who, having enjoyed health coverage, would have to do without it, I guess, because yeah. uh, they'd be deprived of it. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump's half-promises about improving the public option, which is the traditional Western civilized way of doing this, which is that the state actually intervenes in the market and provides health care for everyone, uh, whether they can afford it or not. Uh, doesn't seem to have come off. I, by the way, I've got to apologize. It's Linwood in Virginia, not Virginia in Linwood. So, Linwood, please <laughs> accept my apologies. <laughs> it wasn't at all clear on the note that I was given. The, um, what, what do you think is going to happen? This is the first of three bouts, separate bouts. So what, what do you imagine is going to happen? Is he going to behave properly? And is uh, she going to strike it at him? Is, 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 are they actually going to have a conversation at all, do you think? Or is he going to be so sort of uh, sedated that uh, we really won't get the full flavor of Donald Trump? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it is hard to know because the one thing that, that, that various, I think, reasonably credible sources have indicated is that he has a very short attention span and very little impulse control. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about three 90-minute time periods over the space of a couple of weeks. Um, and, and in the Republican presidential debates, he was never able to con contain himself. Although, to be fair, at, at that stage, he was, he was benefiting from being outrageous. Um, and so we haven't actually seen whether or not he, you know, he has that kind of impulse control. And, I, and, and frankly, I don't know that Hillary Clinton's people would, would do her any favors by trying to get her to, to try to bait him into being his own worst self. Um, I mean, frankly, I think that, that if, he, if, if he is, as you say, sedated, there is still a way for her to distinguish herself. I mean, basically, although, as I was saying before the break, I, I, you know, you definitely don't want her to go into wonk, you know, bloodless mode. I don't think that she's likely to do that anyway. I was just using the Dukakis example as, as you know, the sort of the, the, the worst version of that. Um, I, you know, I, I personally, I think the, the interesting thing about this, this, this pairing is that I, I can't, think of many people, and I certainly can't think of a woman who's as strong as Hillary Clinton. I mean, she is just absolutely one of the smartest, toughest, strongest people I've ever seen. Um, you know, just, you would just think about, like, what, what her life has been like, you know, the kind of, 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 of body blows that she takes on a daily basis. Um, she's just impressive. And, and my, my column in Newsweek yesterday that, that, that you published yesterday, you know, I said, I mean, Trump, for all of his bluster, is the personification of a weak man. 
Um, and frankly, you know, if he, you know, because he, uh, one, one way you know that men are weak is when they're talking about how strong they are. Um, and, you know, he does this all the time. It's just, it's obviously just a diversionary tactic to get people not to notice how incredibly unimpressive and weak he is. And so from the standpoint of Hillary Clinton, if, if, if he wants to go into sedate mode, then he's just going to look sort of mousy and weak next to her, and she doesn't have to act tough. She just is tough. You know, if she, if she gets passionate about talking about, you know, women's rights or, you know, uh, 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 anti-poverty for uh, programs for children, you know, her, her fire is easy to see. Um, and so from the standpoint of the people who, who are advising her, I think, you know, that, 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 that if, I, if, if I were talking to her, I would say, if he goes quiet, that's fine. You know, just, just do your thing because you're good at it. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, the only woman that I can think that is close to it, and it might not be a comparison she would prefer, but Margaret Thatcher, also trained as a lawyer, was amazingly effective in the House of Commons. She could shred uh, the leader of the opposition, Neil Kinnock, in those days. Uh, 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 but I don't think that it would uh, do Hillary any turns to shred Donald Trump. Uh, I'd let his eyes roll and grimacing and all the other things that he actually can't stop doing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the best way. Just, you know, just let him convict himself. Though, if, if, the, if Lester Holt, who's the moderator, if he doesn't uh, follow up with some questions like, why the hell haven't you uh, given your tax uh, forms over for the last 30 years, as Mrs. Right. Clinton has, then if she, you know, uh, she can lump, jump on that, I would have thought, saying, hey, if it's good enough for the gander, it's good enough for the goose, as it were. Uh, so... Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting thing because they must bear in mind, I guess, that there are three of them to come. So I, what I'm imagining is that Trump will allow himself to have a sort of draw in numbers one and number two and then see where he gets to. And uh, he might well argue by that time, look, I've been a good boy, uh, but yeah. the thing that worked in the primaries was just letting me off the leash and I'm going to go for him. We've got just only a minute left, uh, Neil. It all goes all too short, doesn't it, this uh, broadcasting on the Leslie Marshall show? Definitely. Um, so, so, uh, so you're going to get up early tomorrow morning. You're going to take some notes as you go along, and yeah. uh, we'll be able to see it, I guess, uh, later on in the, in the day in Newsweek magazine, and then yeah. all the listeners will be able to work out exactly what you come up to. We're, I'm, alas, we're not very far away from a break, so one short burst of the last bit of wisdom that you leave in listeners' minds when they actually sit down and watch this extraordinary event tonight. Well, just remember that this is not an even match, and we shouldn't pretend that it is, and, and, and we shouldn't let Trump benefit from low expectations. Yeah, that's a very good thought, because it's always an expectation game, these sort of uh, events. And yeah. uh, in a way, whoever sets the bar the lowest can seem to have improved. Yeah. Uh, and everybody knows that Mrs. Clinton's very good at debating. Uh, yeah. But in this case, I don't know, the, the, it, just because of the tightening of the polls, I think that in a weird way she could appear to be more of an underdog than we imagine. Anyway, great to talk to you, Neil. Uh, you good too. luck tonight. I look forward to reading your conclusions in the morning, and I hope that all the readers, uh, the listeners do become readers of Newsweek and uh, read to you. Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. 
of For and By You, the people. Yes, indeed, it is not Leslie Marshall, although it's the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, my name's Nicholas Wapshot. I'm the uh, opinion editor of Newsweek, and I'm standing in this afternoon for Leslie. We've got a, a whole hour to go, two wonderful guests. And the first one is a dear friend and colleague of mine. Uh, most people that come on this show uh, talk about their opinions only. That is, they just pontificate. And now, Matt Cooper, who's the political editor of Newsweek, actually finds stuff out, and uh, which is you know, a sort of novel in our uh, business to some extent. So, Matt, what have you been finding out lately? Uh, well, Nicholas, I've, I've got a uh, cover story about uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, the headline is Hers to Lose. And uh, what I've done is sort of comb the data very carefully in terms of polling and, and uh, also looking at her capacities to turn people out and other factors in the race. And uh, I think although there's a lot of news today that suggests it's a tie, uh, I think she's still a bit ahead, although obviously the, the gap is closed somewhat. Matt, carry on and tell us what, was, tell us what your cover story, which is great, says. Uh, yes. Uh, well, as I was saying, I, I believe Hillary, uh, after after doing some reporting and, and uh, looking at a bunch of factors, I think she, it's still hers to lose, and I think there are any number of ways uh, she can she can blow it, and uh, part of it will uh, play out tonight in the debates. Um, but I think there are other factors as well. Um, you know, she's she's not doing as well with younger voters. Um, I think Trump is still showing surprising strength with Hispanics, even though she has a huge margin there. It's not quite as big as, as she needs it to be. Um, so those are some of the things I've been looking at. And what do you expect to happen tonight, Matt? How does that fit in? I mean, if it's hers to lose, the debate's hers to lose, too, three times in a row, is it? Is it Trump have three chances to Well, it that? is. I mean, I... Uh, well, uh, I, I think cha ch challengers have tended to do pretty well in the uh, in the first debate. Um, you know, often people just want to see if the uh, the new guy can look like a president. And so uh, Reagan had a good first debate. Romney had a good first debate. John Kerry had a first debate. Uh, but usually by the third, it's a somewhat different. Uh, uh, conclusion that uh, voters are reaching. So, uh, while tonight's important, I wouldn't. I would hardly say it's inclusive. So we got. Yeah. Well, that, that makes it even more exciting for us. I mean, it, everybody says, of course, that politics is uh, show business for ugly people. But there's no doubt that this year of all years, I mean, it's show business like we have never seen with. Uh, cable television making a fortune out of people's novel interest in politics, which to them is just like a, I guess, the sort of reality show that Donald Trump does so well at. How much do you think that Donald Trump's television experience uh, will help him 
uh, obviously, Mrs. Clinton has an extraordinary experience as a debater, and she's also a master of her facts and so on. But do you think that uh, Donald Trump has an advantage in some respects because he's so sort of calm, as McLuhan might say, Marshall McLuhan? He's a, it's a cool medium, and he's a cool guy on it. Uh, well, I think we've seen him be a little more incendiary uh, than that in the earlier uh, debates with Republicans. Um, I, I think, but obviously, ten years of doing uh, TV uh, with his own show uh, made a big di- makes a big difference in terms of one's uh, comfort level in front of the camera. Um, I mean, my guess is uh, he'll have a good night because expectations are fairly low for him. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does at the end. Yeah, it's going to be a completely fascinating evening for everybody, isn't it? Because this is – politics is always a bit part theatre, isn't it? But, but this time it's, uh, it's part boxing match too. If, uh, if Trump – will people be disappointed, do you think, if he actually uh, restrains himself and, uh, and doesn't go for a, like a sort of attack dog, which is what well, I would guess quite well, a lot of I people would that, like him to I do? Think- well, I think that's a good question, Nicholas, because uh, part of Trump's appeal, I think, has been to create, uh, you know, sort of, uh, well, you could say dumpster fires or you could say controversy, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, things he said on Twitter, things he said on TV. He's created a, a kerfuffle almost every time he speaks. So I think for him to come out and to be... Uh, deliberately stayed, if not boring, um, I, I, it might be disappointing for some. Yeah, in which case, it, I mean, in terms of playing the expectation game, all of his minders seem to say he's not very good at this sort of thing, you know, and, you know, we could all go terribly wrong for him. And so if he just gets through to the finish line without having caused maximum offense, you'd think that would be good. On the other hand, there is a sense that People are tuning in specifically to see him do something naughty. I mean, that's what's been the success so far. I mean, look at all those GOP deba- debates, a huge numbers, uh, purely because we, weren't we all hoping that he'd actually slug Jeb or, he, you know, he would kick Mario uh, in the, uh, in the you know, knees or something? And so it might, it might just work against him, this expectation game. That's absolutely right. And I think... Uh Conversely, you know, will Clinton, you know, uh, I, I think she'll do best if she's just sort of uh, ma- a master of facts and, um, you know, has the appearance of competence. I think attempts to kind of warm her up, you know, I think dropping dropping that she's a grandmother or uh, other homey touches, I think will actually backfire. That's interesting because sort of everybody, particularly Democrats, have taken it in turns to say what she really needs is to be defrosted a bit, you know, taken out of the deep freeze. Uh, that's yeah, a I, fascinating I, thought that actually – tell me. Tell me more. Well, I, I, I think, you know, uh, I think that will – while it's true, she does have a, a puckish side and, and a warm side. I think um, – I think it will have attempts to air it in a clumsy way will look sort of funny. I think um, I think she's better off being a little more Thatcher. I mean, just sort of firm, 
in command, um, knowledgeable, determined. Uh, you know, she's obviously a different figure than Thatcher, but I think Thatcher-esque will suit her better than, um, you know, trying to be homey. Yeah, well, in a previous life, of course, I spent a lot of time looking down from the press gallery into the House of Commons, which really is like a bear pit, where every, in those days, Tuesday and Thursday, Mrs. Thatcher and the leader of the opposition would tear into each other. And Neil Kinnock, although he was a, a master of words, he was a Welshman with a fine command of the language and everything, but he couldn't get past this, uh, well, you know, the Russians called her the Iron Lady and so on. I mean, she was tough. And so... Uh, it, it may be that uh, the spirit of Thatcher is going to, I'm sure Mrs. Clinton won't welcome the, the uh, comparison, but the spirit of Thatcher might enter into this debate. Uh, so how are you going to watch it tonight, Matt? Are you one of those people who, like me, sort of sits in a, a dark room with a, with a stiff drink and watches it on their own, or are you going to watch it with a glass in your hand with a bunch of pals? Uh, well, I'm going to be by myself, but I, I think that's uh, I think that's best. Um, you know, like a movie theater, you don't want too much talking. Uh, so, uh, and a stiff glass sounds like a, sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I might watch it on C-SPAN, which is going to have a split screen, always keeping the other uh, person in the camera. And um, it might be more interesting than just having one of them uh, fill the screen when they're speaking. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very very good tip for our listeners. Uh, go see span and see both faces because what we know is that one of the things that Trump plays is pull faces, grimaces, to raise his eyebrows, to you know shake his head, to, to do all of these things. So the body language of Trump is well worth watching this time. Uh, we're going to be spending more time with Matt Cooper, who's the political editor of Newsweek, uh, when we go uh, on the other side of the commercial break. We look forward to seeing you then. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Leslie Marshall Show. This is Nicholas Swapshot standing in for Leslie, and I'm uh, very glad to have uh, on the end of the line my dear friend and colleague Matt Cooper, who's the political editor of Newsweek. So you've got two Newsweeks for the price of one right at the moment. Uh, Matt, uh, tell me about the, the race. A lot of people, like you just said, in fact, uh, that you still have a sensation that she's just a nose ahead. Uh, and yet, uh, whenever anyone uh, – certainly that, the national opinion polls seem to show that, with a combination of polls today showing – her up on one side and him up on the other. But actually the road for him to win through the battleground states is very tricky. Could you just run through that quickly for us just to give us an idea of where you think the race is moving at this stage? I think he certainly has, has closed the gap uh, over the last few weeks. But the uh, but she's got a few things in her favor um, uh, at the moment. Uh, one is uh, that the I think the electoral map is still still favors her, even though he's uh, showing increased strength in some of the big swing states like Florida and Ohio. Um, second, and this isn't reflecting the polls, she's, 
she's just got a much more advanced uh, way of getting her people to the polls. And that's worth a couple of points. Um, you know, Democrats tend to be a little better at that in the presidential years, and she's got a particularly good operation. And uh, Trump really has none. He's kind of relying solely on the Republican Party to get people out. And so uh, for those reasons, and also taking a closer look at the polls, I, I think she's still uh, a good nose ahead. But believe me, she's more than, she's more than capable of, of blowing it. <laughs> That's one of the joys of politics. You know, you, the further ahead exactly. you go, the, the, the fewer Democrats would come out. So in a weird way, I've, I've said to people lately when they say, you know, the, the race is tightening, isn't it, worrying, Hillary supporters. And I say, well, if you're supporting Hillary, don't worry too much, because if it wasn't tight, the people wouldn't go out. You actually need, she needs it to be looking tight, even if it's not really tight. Well, which, I, I that's what I'm trying to work Come on, sorry. I think that's right. I, I, I actually think in a strange way it would help to be a little a little behind at this point with, with enough time to catch up. Um, I, I do think another factor that will help her is she's losing she's losing um, a couple of points because of uh, the rise of Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate, and to a lesser extent uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. I, I believe, I mean, third-party candidates almost always start to fade uh, as we get closer to the finish line and people feel like they might be uh, wasting their vote. Um, so I think she, that that will happen uh, to some degree anyway. Um, but look, she's, she's got some weakness. I mean, I, the youth thing is a real problem. Um, uh, you know, I think there's just, and, and it's a big holdover from the primaries where she just, uh, young people do not cotton to her uh, the way she needs. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's because she lacks Obama cool or or what it is precisely, um, but she's, she's not getting it. Yeah, it does seem. I wonder whether it, is Bernie Sanders out on the stump every day? Is he actually doing the work that he's expected to well, do? Yeah, no, he he is, but it's not really... Uh, it's not moving the numbers enough, and I, I think it's a little ideologically incoherent because you got some people going from Sanders to Johnson, and, and while they might share, you know, a similarly restrained foreign policy, um, you know, it's very different between the self-proclaimed socialist and the and the libertarian. So, um, I, you know, what she's got, she's got some problems there, and I don't know if she can, um, you know resolve them by, by the beginning of November. Uh, and what do you think is going on in a place like Florida, where it seems to be neck and neck, and Mario, Marco Rubio seems to be uh, doing pretty well in his Senate race by the sound of it, and yet what we do know about Trump, if we know nothing else, is that he launched his campaign by denigrating immigrants, by specifically denigrating Hispanics, and uh, they seem pretty united against him. And yet in Florida, and also in Nevada, uh, the Republican Senate candidate, at least, seemed to be doing better than you might expect. Yeah. Uh, well, Nevada, I think, is a little easier to explain because it's still um, really kind of in recession. Uh, you know, it, it took the housing uh, crisis probably... And it's taking longer for uh, Nevada to climb out of the hole. So it's it's easier to see why um, 
you know, there's there's kind of more resentments there that uh, Trump would be able to capitalize on. Also, being I don't think being a casino magnate uh, hurts in Nevada. Um, in Florida, it's it's uh, you know a combination of a, a few things. I think you you do have a lot of older voters, um, and does, Trump does tend to do better with uh, older voters. And again, her her. Her uh, strength with Hispanics is not all it should be. It's not as strong as Obama's was, and um, she just uh, she just needs to do better there. I think in part because you know some of the more interesting polling shows a lot of Hispanics don't believe Trump is going to do what he says he's going to do. They don't think he's really going to try to deport them all, and uh, that that impression is not helping. But. Yeah, yeah, it might be true that uh, they give him they give him credit for not telling the truth, uh, even when it th- uh, threatens the, him, them, which is an interesting uh, way of looking at it. The uh, have you known? I mean, you know, you you you're a, what one might call a, a, a veteran political reporter. Have you have you ever come across a race quite as uh, unlikely as this one? Well. Uh, no, because there's never been a character as as uh, as, as uh, different as Trump. You know, we've we've really had only uh, a couple of presidents, uh, a couple of presidential candidates in the 20th century who had never uh, held elective office. I mean, one of them was Eisenhower, who had the uh, benefit of helping to save the world. Uh, the other was Wendell Wilkie in the in the 40s, who was a a charismatic figure and a, and a very um, competent one. We've never had anyone quite like, you know, Trump, who was just, a, you know, a, a rich man. It's questionable how rich, but he's a rich man uh, who's also a TV star. And um, so there's never been anyone like him. And there's never been anyone who's blown up as many conventions as he has. Uh, Matt, you Matt, know, from not Matt. everything is- Matt, Matt Cooper, political editor of, the, of Newsweek, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. It was been, uh, you've told us stuff we didn't know, which is not uh, always the, the case. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Nicholas Wapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek and standing in for Leslie this afternoon. And my last and final, but uh, in many ways the most interesting guest, is Ira Stoll, who is a conservative columnist. I always read him in the New York Sun. Go to nysun.com and uh, check him out. He's also a syndicated columnist from uh, coast to coast, so you can pick him up in all sorts of places. I say that he's uh, interesting because he's... uh, one of those rare things. He's a conservative who has a totally original cast of mind, and he has an, uh, an original take on almost everything, including on Mr. Trump. So are you looking forward to the debate tonight, Ira? I am dreading it. In fact, oh. I, I, I may watch the football game instead. <laughs> and tell me why. Well, I, I, I wrote this weekend, actually, uh, actually the New Orleans Saints, football team is playing and uh if you want to watch saints in a contest that's the football game is the only place they're going to be because they're not going to be in a debate between hillary clinton and donald trump 
So it's your opinion that it's a devil versus a devil. It, and that that's presumably because Donald Trump, who, I mean, you would normally support automatically the Republican Party, I would guess. The, it, I mean, Donald Trump is really not a conservative by very many measures, is he? Well, I've been trying to summon up the cars to vote for him. I have voted for for Republican <laughs> candidates in the last few elections, uh, actually in quite a few of the last elections. I, I, I traditionally vote for Republicans. And um, every time I think I'm almost there, he does something that uh, just makes me cringe. And uh, if I do end up voting that way, it won't be very enthusiastic. I mean, I keep trying to come up with reasons. Maybe it's judges, or maybe it's Obamacare, or maybe it's taxes. And then he comes out and does something that's that's uh, that makes me cringe. Would you settle for Hillary Clinton being the president, but the Republican maintaining the Senate and the House, so that she's sort of hogtied? Uh, you know, that would be about as great as what we have we have now i mean which is uh which is not so great but which is better than what we had from my point of view in the first two years of the obama administration and a lot of people i hear say that serious business type people say things like oh hillary and paul ryan could find some accommodation and they wouldn't be that bad I think the problem for Hillary in that scenario is there's all these Bernie Sanders voters who want a real progressive agenda enacted, and uh, they'd be quite thwarted in that in that scenario. Yeah, that's certainly true. On the other hand, I suppose, I mean, if we assume that Hillary and Bill Clinton think very much alike, Bill Clinton, when he lost... Uh, Congress actually started doing deals, well, I was going to say right and left, but right and right mostly. I mean, he's, he's now being welfare attacked for all reform. sorts of things that he agreed to then. Yeah. Right. Welfare reform, capital gains, tax uh, cuts, a lot of that 90s boom that people remember was a result of collaboration between Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, who is now advising Trump. So... Uh, stranger things have happened. Deregulation, too. Yeah, deregulation, of course, which uh, may or may not have backfired, depending on what view of economics you take. But that, too, was something which Bill Clinton went along with. Uh, so, yeah, he was a pretty good sort of center-right uh, Democrat in many respects, wasn't he? Not, notwithstanding the reputation he's got for being, uh, among conservatives anyway, of being a sort of crazy progressive. Uh, Mrs. Clinton, it strikes me as a sort of pragmatic sort of person. I mean, she wants to achieve things. And in her experience in the Senate actually might be slightly encouraging to people who uh, are happy to, to vote for a conservative senator but not to vote for Mr. Trump at the top of the ticket. But that's going to be quite difficult, isn't it? Because it's actually much easier just to pull the lever and go straight down the line from the top. And you actually got to think about it if you start mixing, matching your presidents and senates and house members. Well, there are a lot of ticket-splitting voters and even voters who are not enrolled as Republicans or Democrats, independent voters in, in my state of Massachusetts, actually, uh, outnumber either Republicans or Democrats. And, and they've been growing, unlike either the Republican or Democratic numbers. So mm. no candidate has arisen to capture the imagination of those voters, despite all the hopes for Mayor Bloomberg 
Um, and despite the ambitions of Governor Johnson of, of New Mexico, uh, but uh, those there are the, plenty of those voters out there. Yeah, I, I guess that's the case. The, uh, what do you think um, will happen, whether he wins or loses? I mean, has the Republican Party actually been hijacked, rather like the Labour Party has been hijacked by a sort of Trotskyist communist in Britain? Well, you know, I think if Trump loses, then then Paul Ryan will be in a strong position, and and he'll people will look to him going forward. I, I don't think Trump will have much power if he loses this uh, this election. I don't think it, he'll try again in four years, and I, I think there'll be a, a look to Ryan and to. Some new generation. Uh, Ted Cruz is obviously positioning himself to try to capture some of the Trump supporters with this latest endorsement of Trump. Uh, he's a kind of runner-up from this election, but uh, I think the congressional wing will will be dominant as so long as they don't lose the House, which at this point it doesn't look like they will. No, I mean, if anything, it's, uh, they won't lose the Senate either, if you look at the opinion polls in, in the key seats anyway, notwithstanding the fact that I think t- more than twice as many uh, Republican seats are up in the Senate this time. And yet, uh, even conclude Harry Reid's seat in Nevada, it might even swing the other way. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting result from the top to the bottom of the ticket. Uh, I'm, what if you, if you, you will have heard the same rumors as me probably, which is that actually that, uh, Donald Trump would like to set up a sort of uh, conservative or right-wing or whatever Trumpian uh, broadcasting outfit. He, I mean, having assembled this tribe of people, that he's going to hold on to it, and that's what Roger Ailes and uh, Mr. Bannon, formerly of Breitbart, are doing in the in the team. And actually, what they're going to do is to uh, set up, I guess, as a rival to Fox News, because Fox News at the moment has their place to itself. Right, and don't forget uh, Jared Kushner, the publisher of the New York Observer newspaper and Trump's uh, son-in-law. Between that team of media executives and Donald Trump's star power, uh, they might be able to lure Sean Hannity away from Fox. Uh, You know, they'd be off to a running start if that's what they want to do. Yeah, and they wouldn't need any more. You know, you don't actually have to uh, have the money in order to buy into cable stations or buy uh, uh, cable operators in order to gain access to the audience because the Internet has sort of so reduced the cost of entering the game. And as we know, he's a master of publicity. You wouldn't need too much to make sure that everybody knew exactly where, uh, you know, just Google Trump TV and there, you know, you'd find him very easily. So all of that entry cost. Uh, I should point out that Ira Stoll is a conservative media mogul of his own. He's set up the New York Sun with the wonderful Seth Lipsky, and, uh, which uh, still uh, carries on. And uh, maybe you should have uh, found somebody like Trump in order to be your partner so that you could, uh, well, maybe not. What do you think? <laughs> Well, uh, perhaps it would have been more lucrative, but uh, it would have been at the cost of some principle, which uh, may be why I'm a better columnist than I am a media mogul. But <laughs> Well, you're, you're very young, Iris, so you've got still plenty of time. <laughs> 
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's very interesting to talk to you. You see, if I had a regular sort of unsentient Republican, they just like all of those terrible uh, people that uh, appear on the television uh, apologizing for Trump and just lying through their teeth. But talking to Iris Stold is so refreshing because he's uh, he's intellectually confident enough to say what he thinks instead of having to kowtow to some party line, which gives uh, the great strength of Iris Collins. We'll be resuming uh, talking to him after the next commercial break. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll agree that... Uh, if, even if conservative is not your thing, that Ira Stoll is the person to listen to. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. Uh, this is Nicholas Swapshot. I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek, and I'm standing in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall Show. And one of my favorite guests is here, Iris Stoll, who is, uh, what can I say, is a very smart conservative and an original thinker, which is a great relief from all of the standard fare that you see on cable shows where left and right, they're just too tedious. If you want to uh, read Iris' uh, columns, great columnist, uh, read them on the New York Sun, nysun.com, or if you just Google him, and you'll find all the other places that uh, publishes. Uh, excellent columns too. Uh, now, I've have, uh, I used to work with Ira on the Sun, and uh, hugely engaging, and uh, we had a great time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, to start a newspaper from scratch is is a very thrilling thing. Uh, and uh, I spend a lot of time mixing with uh, both conservatives and liberals. Uh, I live in the center of Manhattan and uh, at the bottom of the Upper East Side where all sorts are available. And I must say that I've never come across so many depressed conservatives or Republican voters. Uh, and I went to a House party at the weekend where, I mean, just every conservative was groaning and they all – all of them, we're talking about half a dozen people said that they could not vote for Trump and that they were very likely to vote for Hillary Clinton. Is that the sort of uh, uh, gossip that you're picking up, Ira? Well, uh, my wife is a clinical psychologist, and I must say this election is good for her business. Uh, if you own stock in an antidepressant phar- making pharmaceutical company, this would also be good for your business. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think outside of Manhattan, I mean, I, I live in Massachusetts, and I see Trump yard signs. I see Trump bumper stickers, most of them on pickup trucks. I see people walking around in Trump T-shirts. Uh, sometimes I wonder if it's just for, for effect, uh, you know, kind of like a scary Halloween costume or something. But, um, <laughs> you know... The best sort of most positive face to put on it is that this Washington establishment that's been around for 20 years or so has failed America, has has gotten us into uh, an economic crisis and uh, uh, international morass. Uh, we're losing the fight against uh, Islamic radical violence. And uh, and that Trump wants to get rid of those folks and and throw the bums out, and that 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 might be a refreshing tide of change 
to clear out some of the dead wood in Washington and that some of his most extreme positions are just negotiating positions and he'll moderate once in office if he wins. So if I had to cheer those people up, other than sending them to a psychologist or telling them to take some antidepressants, <laughs> that's what I would say. I, I don't know if it'll work, but that, that's what I try to say. Yeah, well, I suppose they're going to be put out of their misery soon. We're, you know, we're in spitting distance of the election now, and the, the worst must be over. The, I think that they were depressed most of all in those early weeks when they, they saw one – I wouldn't use the term moderate because I don't think it's appropriate – but the, when one conservative candidate after the next, decent conservatives that were, got knocked out by the most low – blows that you could possibly, just abuse, personal abuse, ad hominem assaults and so on. And uh, I'm not sure that that's uh, done the body politic any good. Uh, it may be true that, uh, that, that what he's looking for is a sort of nihilistic, apolitical means of getting to the White House. And uh, maybe there's that head of steam. There's certainly true in other countries we know. Uh, take the Brexit vote in Britain, but it's also true in France and uh, even Germany. There's a head of steam behind people who just think that they're not where they think they ought to be. And uh, they, they don't like what the uh, consensus, the establishment of both parties working in concert with each other, have done. But do you think that it's uh, – what, what's your view? Do you think that if Trump actually became the president that he would be able to uh, wreak the changes that he says that he can? Or do you think actually that in this case you'd have a relatively moderate leader of the House and a relatively moderate Senate, even a Republican Senate, that actually would sort of damp him down? Well, every president's campaign promises have to collide with reality, and nobody can get everything that they want. I think it could be to Trump's advantage that he's feared is so extreme. I mean, I think going into negotiations with, say, China or Mexico or, you know, in the art of the deal, I think he, he, he writes about, you know, Having your negotiating partner think that you're a little bit crazy can be an advantage in a, in a negotiation. Um, you know, and, and I think everybody has a little bit of doubt. You know, is he really as crazy as he seems? Um, and, you know, let's, let's hope for the world's sake that the answer is if he wins is no. Because if, if he is as crazy as certainly as Hillary's trying to depict him, uh, it's, it's scary stuff. But it, it, the, uh, the thing that I think is particularly worrying is his uh, lack of understanding about the importance of NATO, uh, his uh, thought that somehow you could use nuclear weapons in the European theater, the fact that he thinks that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is a good idea and this, you know, a strong man like Putin, even though he has no, under, no respect for national Orders and does sneak invasions of neighboring countries and has his eyes on the Baltic states and so on. That's, I think, the most dangerous thing. But uh, are you worried about his foreign policy? Well, I'm worried about Hillary's foreign policy. I mean, Hillary was Secretary of State, and, and what we've got was the Iran deal. We got a disaster in Libya, and we got the rise of ISIS. I mean, I, so... I don't know how much Trump, worse Trump could do short of getting us into an actual World War V with uh, the remnants of the Soviet Union. And I think there he's, he's actually he wants warmer relations with uh, with Russia, not fiercer ones. So 
we may be pleasantly surprised by Trump on foreign policy. Mm, I'm not sure that being warm towards Vladimir Putin is exactly what uh, what we need. I would have thought that we need to be rather robustly opposing him, because well, he's, as we know he's someone who's. Yeah, didn't use it. <laughs> I think it was one of those things that you get in Staples. You know, it's just a button connected to nothing, or like, like, like by the traffic lights where it says, you know, press this in order to, you know, it's just in order to get you to do something while you're waiting. I think. <laughs> I, I suppose actually, the I mean, in the broader sense, if Saddam Hussein was still in Iraq, uh, a lot of this stuff may never have happened. So maybe looking retrospectively, I know that uh, you had time for George W. Bush and his foreign policy when it came to Iraq, though I'm not sure, you'd have to tell me exactly how far you supported him in that, but undoing the whole of Iraq, I'm not saying that Saddam Hussein was worth keeping, by the way, and I was in favor of uh, removing him too, but uh, I think that by just unpicking the whole of the Middle East, apart from across uh, Israel, which is the only democracy in the Middle East, that has uh, ramifications which any president's still going to have to deal with maybe 10 years, 20 years hence. Maybe it's insoluble. Well, there's a whole foreign policy establishment, the CIA, the U.S. military, the Foreign Service. And, you know, Trump can steer those people in one direction or another. But, you know, short of short of unilaterally ordering military strikes, which I guess he could do, uh, you know, there, there's, there are some constraints on him. It's a powerful job, but there are constraints. Yeah, but he, he's not going to give Congress back the, the right to declare war or things like that. They might still have the right, but it's not been used for a very long time. Would, I mean, would he agree to that sort of thing, do you think? He actually has. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but he has said that he will ask Congress to declare war against ISIS, which to me is actually quite a constructive statement about both his goal of destroying ISIS and a recognition of the role Congress plays in foreign policy. Yeah. Whether that would give him any more flexibility to do exactly as he likes. I'm not quite sure what he would have done in, in, the, in, in that sort of absurd red line situation which Obama fluffed. I'm not sure whether Trump would, uh, would have gone in. Do you think he would have zapped Assad's planes and prevented them from flying? I think what Hillary wants is a no-fly zone. We know that. Yeah, that. Trump has said he also favors a no-fly zone. So in some ways, maybe his mm. theory of policy is not that different from hers, although I do think he would give Putin a freer hand to work with Assad which is, you know, grim if you're a Syrian civilian. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, If you're a Syrian rebel of all sorts. Uh, I can't thank you enough, uh, Ira. Great to uh, speak to you again. And this is the end of my two-hour stint on the Leslie Marshall Show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm most grateful to you all for uh, listening in. And uh, I must say, I've learned a lot of stuff from uh, from my guests, and I hope you have too. Uh, Good luck with the debate tonight. Keep your fingers crossed. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. 
keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.